0: I got an email from a company once asking me to promote a product where you can inhale a sort of hit of whatever you want to put in it, I presume weed, and then <laughs> once you've inhaled the hit, you tilt it up and then you get to down a litre of beer. And they actually sent me an email to... That actually exists. I, to try, I thought that was only in movies, but I literally <laughs> got an email to promote this. now like...
3: Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman.
1: Welcome to the PR Show, a new PR Week podcast. I'm Arvind Hickman. Today, I'm joined by a panel of experts who will dissect influencer marketing and what the industry needs to do to improve the transparency and credibility of this rapidly growing area. It was billed as Coachella in the Caribbean, but ended up more like the Hunger Games. The Fire Festival used a small army of influencers, Anja Rule, to attract elite millennials to a festival on an exotic Caribbean island. Some had paid $13,000 for the privilege, which quickly unravelled into an epic tropical scam. It's predicted that marketers could spend up to $10 billion each year on influencers by 2020. But is this money well spent? To unpack the Fire Festival and influencer marketing, I'm joined by Katie Hunter, the head of social media and influencers at ad agency Kamarama, Joe Mackay Sinclair, the founder and creative genius at The Romans, and a special guest, Joshua Peters who's a YouTube star with more than 1 million followers and his own Comedy Central show, Josh Investigates. Josh is not only an influencer, but has shares in in a talent management platform, Influencer.com. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hello. Right, let's kick off with the Fire Festival. Now I, I spoke to Joe and Katie after the Netflix documentary, Fire, the Greatest Party That Never Happened, came out. I just want to get your reaction again, Katie. What what did you think about the documentary when you were watching it?
2: Well, I think on the surface, actually, their approach was pretty spot on. I think they worked with loads of really high profile cool people or cool to the audience Mm -hmm. and they sold out the festival in advance which is all you can hope for really when you're doing any kind of influencer marketing campaign um i think everyone and i think the reason it's got everyone so hyped up is because everyone was just in shock at how it unraveled and kind of how it snowballed out of control over the course of the documentary Mm. so it was entertaining and horrifying to watch at the same time
0: okay josh have you seen the documentary yeah it was uh Someone described us watching a car crash in slow motion. Okay, but uh, yeah, it was uh, very interesting.
3: What What were your views when you saw it, Joe? I mean, I'm not sure I could see most of it because I had my hands over my eyes (laughs) for the vast part of it. As Katie said, you know, the one thing that went right was the influencer marketing. Mm. They sold out. It was all the other shit that got in the way uh, of it being a success. That It was more logistical than anything else. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, the thing that it raises the question of is, to what extent are influencers culpable, responsible for the messages they put out? And I'm sure we're going to cover that today.
1: Well, actually, let's cover that right now. Uh, Josh, being an influencer, someone who's been part of campaigns similar to this, I imagine, um, where do you sort of think the responsibility line should have been with those influencers involved, those ones that were putting up orange squares? Do you believe they should have done more due diligence on, on an event that had never happened before?
0: No, I think they were hired to do a job, which they did quite well. I was explaining it to someone the other day, if uh, you go to Starbucks and and order a coffee and get poisoned by that coffee, I wouldn't say it's so much the uh, person who pours, if the the coffee beans were something wrong with them, you wouldn't really blame the barista or the the person making the coffee, you'd probably Mm -hmm. blame Starbucks and and where they sourced their coffee from. So I don't think it's fair to blame the influencers in this case as they were doing a job they got paid for, which I think they did quite well. And unfortunately, Billy McFarlane turned out to be a, a massive fraudster. <laughs> but having said that, I think in the current climate that we live in, it is important to do as much sort of research and due diligence on something before you take part in it. But, I mean, no, he fooled everyone. Yeah, he pretty so, much
1: did. He, he fooled Ja
0: Rule. Exactly. <laughs> and if you fooled easy. Ja Rule... That's kind of where you set the mark. You know, if you can fool Jarul, you can fool anyone. Pretty much, pretty much, (laughs) pretty much. Well,
1: what about when when the influencers knew that this was turning into an epic shit show? uh, At that point, do you think they had a sort of responsibility to their own followers and audiences to sort of apologise, put their hands up, maybe put up other coloured squares in their thing, saying, sorry, we got it wrong?
0: Yeah, I think, but it happened so... I mean, they wouldn't have known, really, Mm. would they? Because they were hired to market the festival months before it was scheduled to actually take place and most of them weren't even in attendance of the festival so they would have had no idea what was going on and only would have found out sort of as we and the rest of the world started finding out um so i think once they found out sure it would be fair to say that they could be like look this is what happened i got fooled just like you guys did um but as i say yeah they would have only found out when it was too late
1: Mm. What what are your thoughts, Katie? Should, should they have said sorry afterwards? I mean, I think it was only Bella had, had did, who did that. I think most of them just deleted their original posts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm of the same opinion. I don't think it would have done any harm for them to come out and admit they were misled and you mm. know apologize to followers. And I think people really respect honesty um, and authenticity on on that front. And so I don't think any you know anything bad would have happened as a result of of saying sorry. But again, you know, they were not consciously duping anybody. I don't think they were misleading audiences on purpose. Mm. And so I think kind of in the fore of it and when it all came to a head, I'm not also surprised that many of them missed the boat on coming out and and making that apology.
1: Joe, were those really rubbishy cheese sandwiches enough punishment for the influence involved?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know what? I I think I'm of the same opinion of the other guys. Um, Josh's analogy about Starbucks totally get, but also from a, I guess, from a wider marketing uh, analogy... You know, if, if you hire somebody to do the voiceover for your TV ad, it's not their job to check out whether the interest rates of advertising for that bank are necessarily the best in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think because influencer marketing is relatively nascent, like we're still kind of get, getting to grips in terms of where the parameters are and what you can do, what you can't do, I kind of feel that um, they suffered because of that. And I think... Um, too much of an onus was placed on the actual marketing channel, in this case, the influencers, mm-hmm. to, to actually try and rectify what was a, a far bigger issue with the, the dude lying about what he was selling.
1: Mm. I think some of the influencers are being subpoenaed, and there's even talks about some of them being sued. I mean, that seems like quite an extreme reaction. Do you think that's a little bit unfair? Yeah,
0: but I think it. when you're watching it, you pick that up as well. It was a group of people promoting the event and the kind of type of people you'd associate with going to the event that everyone would just love to hate. Yeah. yeah. Because (laughs) it is just the most unbelievable thing. Basically, you know, normally these people would be going, "Eh, you know, we're going to this festival, look at us type thing. You guys can't afford this. We're going to do this, that and the next thing. And for once, it all blew up in everyone's face and it was an absolute disaster. So I think the majority of people really enjoyed watching this and that's why that Netflix documentary's done so well. Watching this thing just completely fail, I yeah, I, 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 that's crazy to me though that that influencers are getting subpoenaed and mm. sued for promoting it. I just think that's silly. But I think everyone is uh, really happy that happened. You know what I mean? It's something that people. Love to stick the booty behind in, exactly.
1: Okay, now the fire failure was obviously an extreme example of where it's gone wrong, Um, not necessarily by the fault of the influencers. But people who work in the industry will recognise that there have been several other examples that have been exposed in recent times. Um, The BBC's Panorama program did a show recently about influencer marketing, Mm. and some examples that were exposed in that show was a coffee product that was being promoted as healthy and slimming. Um, There's also been some recent reports about big tobacco companies using influencers to promote, in inverted commas, healthier tobacco products to vast audiences. That um, some of which may reach people underage. And, of course, we've heard of other examples featuring um, Love Island reality TV stars. Now, I'm just curious, guys, um, from your vast experience in influencer campaigns, what is the worst example that you've seen um, that's sort of come out or or one that you've either worked on or or, or seen other people work on? Um, Could was it at... Pan- uh, can- uh,
0: What's it? Canorama? Kam- uh, Kam- how do I pronounce Kam- it? Canorama. Canorama. Kam- Kam- yeah. I did a panel at Canorama and um, I spoke about this. I got an email from a, a company once asking me to promote their um, Knockout product, which basically is a product where you can inhale... A sort of hit of whatever you want to put in it, I presume weed. And then <laughs> once you've inhaled the hit, you tilt it up and then you get to down sort of liter of beer. Then once you've swallowed the beer, you blow out and they blow out the wow. smoke. And they actually sent me an email to. That exist. Prom- I, well, I thought that was only in movies. You're
3: but like product man. I know, I, got, I
0: literally <laughs> got an email to promote this and I was like, yeah, I, I can't, unfortunately. But um, that's the weirdest, um, most obscure thing I've ever been asked to promote. Mm-hmm. But I think I haven't had personal experience in, in sort of many bad brands,
3: so to speak, in terms of working with.
1: Okay, Joe? I, I think for, for me, it's, it's,
3: we're talking about the kind of products that people push via social. That necessarily isn't the worst stuff you see via influencers. For me, mm. the bad stuff is just the really lazy stuff, the stuff that treats the influencer as a commodity, like, here's some money, please just talk about this product or put this product in your hand and take a picture. And that, for me, is kind of the 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 agency and the influence kind of abdicating creative control and just being used as a, as, as a commodity. Mm. And so it's that kind of stuff that annoys me. I think far better to work with people that are credible and have a following, that understand each other and create something bespoke that is going to actually get that audience excited and feel that the... The message is coming from a personal place rather than just a homogenised "Hi guys, click subscribe." It's me again
1: with a bunch of products. Mm. So, so you're more sort of like concerned about the execution of some of these campaigns. What about you, Katie?
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think the worst campaigns, and we've all seen them out there, you know, are where the product just doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form with the influencers that have been chosen to promote that product, and either because the influencers have been approached. As a media buy, a quick fix, a quick way to get reach, um, or a bit of a borrowed audience, or just because, to Joe's point, people are lazy and aren't doing the due diligence around Mm -hmm. who they should be working with and how they creatively can add to that campaign. And I'm sure Josh will agree. I think it's much more exciting for everybody, agencies, brands, and influencers, if you're doing something that's more creatively collaborative and going to add value than yeah, just buying space.
0: Yeah, I think we're like advertisers often make mistakes when working with YouTubers, and it is still so new, so I think everyone's learning and and getting better at it, is I think a lot of people see us as just a way to reach a certain amount of people, which Mm. is one of the benefits, I think, of working with influencers. But I think another thing people don't think about too much is you're now getting... If you work with the right type of creator, you're getting a a product that you would normally have to pay so much more for if you're going to work with a traditional advertising company and and pay for an entire shoot and a a full production. You're getting all that plus the sort of reach that people have to offer, and you're getting that for way less than you would get if if you were paying a normal advertiser, and all it takes is a bit of research and working with the right type of people. I think... It comes down to a lot of sort of laziness and, and then from the, and that's from both parties. From our side, we're probably lazy in some respects of when when we get offered money, we might say yes because everyone always jumps at money and from the advertiser's point of view, they say, oh, he's got X amount of followers let's or she's got X amount of followers, let's work with
1: them without actually going, is that person... Right for X campaign. It's an interesting point you raise about how cost-effective it can be. Can, can you give us an example? What sort of range would you generally do a, a campaign for? Me personally. Yeah, you personally. So,
0: unfortunately, my the first thing my uh, my mom and dad ever ever taught me was uh, never to, to speak about sort of how much money I. Well, I'm make asking or... you politely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's just say that it is a lot cheaper mm-hmm. than working with a traditional uh, production company are going to create an advert for a brand which I would I know would normally be in the realms of sort of 30 to 50,000 pounds to Mm. create an advert whereas with a YouTuber you're paying them their fee whatever that may be and they are creating an advert for you and giving you the reach to, to put it out to their followers and I think that's sometimes something people forget. But um,
1: are we talking thousands, hundreds? I mean, there was a story that we did recently where um, I think sixty percent of influencers were paid up to two hundred fifty pounds per post. Yeah, is that is that
0: accurate? I really wouldn't be able to 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 know. It completely depends on the type of influencer, what they what their sort of brand is that they work around. You know, I mean, you get so many different types of YouTubers with so many different types of prices. It would it would be really hard for me to. I'd be guessing to sure. say. Um, but I would say that it's it's more cost-effective than
1: working with a big advertising agency, can, can basically. Can you add a little bit more meat to that whole cost-effectiveness argument?
2: Well, I think also for us, and we're a, you know, a creative agency, so it's a big it's a big conversation because obviously we have, well, and Joe will understand this too, we have creatives mm-hmm. who have ideas for campaigns and then how you kind of bring those campaigns to life through influencers or creatives in their own right is quite an interesting challenge a lot of the time and sometimes it's the right thing to do and and sometimes it isn't. So actually I think... To Josh's point, from a production point of view, yes, influencers can be much more cost effective than large scale production, particularly when you think about um, long form video um, and things like that. But also you're buying a type of creativity that we might not necessarily be able to provide as an agency as well. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of buying a a viewpoint and ideas that would help to elaborate on on a campaign idea rather than just... Yeah, just those production values, I think. So in terms of across-the-board efficiency, it is just a great content solution for, for doing things more effectively, I think, and with better outputs.
3: Joe? Oh, I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about costs. My job is creative director. I mm-hmm. have ideas, and so you, I don't necessarily get involved you in You do that. actually run an agency, right? I, I do, but we also have a, a financial controller and I have a business partner. But um, I think in terms of... Uh, costs, yeah, of course, there is efficiency. Look look, look at Fire Festival as a case in point. Mm-hmm. Like, they sold out millions and millions of pounds worth of, of tickets via that channel. So, obviously, it works. I think what gets me excited is um, the way that you can embed influencers into campaigns that perhaps aren't necessarily the people you'd immediately think of as being influencers. So, perhaps not necessarily someone that has a only a YouTube channel or a, or a Twitter feed, but people that perhaps have a level of influence that they weren't necessarily aware of. So, um, hashtag ad, hashtag spawn. uh, The Romans recently created a campaign, um, which PR Week was kind enough to give us Influencer Campaign of the Year for at the last awards, which used pissed-off commuters as an influencer channel. Mm -hmm. So when you're... It was for Gordon's Gin, and it was about rewarding people who were looking for a bit of an uplift when their trains were delayed, and so we tapped into... uh, the, the collective annoyance of that, that group of people who ultimately shifted the dial in terms of influencing the rest of London because they were all tweeting vociferously about their trains being late. So I think often you can find hidden, untapped value from people that don't necessarily realise they actually are an influencer, mm. um, not to take anything away from people that actually do that for a living, who very much should be paid for their time, efforts and content, um, I think perhaps was a bit of a legacy issue with agencies not wanting to pay influencers and thinking they would work purely for have some product Mm. and and, and tweet and post about it. And I think hopefully we've moved a long way from that place so that content creators are getting fairly remunerated for their time as editors and and, and creators. What sort of results did you get from that campaign, just out of interest? Oh, dude... uh Oh, I'd have to go back and look at the PR Week website where the uh, where the details of all the KPIs are fully documented. Um, they were really good, though. Can you give us a, a top-line
1: indication? Or? Dude,
3: I've got no idea, man. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I believe uh, something like 10,000 samples were given out mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, your classic number of tweets. Uh, put a big number in. I've got no idea. Okay, Loads. Fair enough, yeah. fair enough.
0: TBC. <laughs> the, the other thing that people kind of just don't think about is, say you run an advert on television, it runs for as long as you pay for. If you collaborate with a with a creator on their Instagram or their YouTube, that piece of content, unless they end up deleting it at some point, is going to be there forever. So you are incorporating your brand with that person and they're incorporating themselves with your brand for a long time, forever, and that advert will be there forever. People watch YouTube videos. I've got videos on my channel from three, four years ago that people still watch. Um, so you're getting so much so work with us
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's one of the better campaigns that that you've worked on Josh
0: Um, one of the funnest ones I ever did was with Tinder and I guess because selling
2: a little or a lot
3: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: They're a more new age company. They were kind of open to hearing my ideas mm-hmm. and having a bit of fun. So we set up a sort of sketch where... Um, a friend of mine was a Tinder expert and I was struggling to, to get a date and he was You were struggling to get a date? Yeah, no, can you believe it? Not after this and podcast. He, <laughs> <laughs> and he came around and, and had a look at my Tinder profile which we'd kind of set up to be the worst example of a Tinder profile ever. And he, you know, he coached me through how to, he took better photos of me and, and changed my bio to more fun things. And it was a, basically just a a funny video that got the message across, I guess, that Tinder is not just an app for uh, finding someone and and spending the night with them, but actually a place where you can meet your your significant other. And it it went really well. And the audience really liked it, which is cool, because the last thing we want to do and I'm sure the last thing brands want is for us to create something where the audience can see straight through it and mm. say, you, you've just done this for Did it actually
1: work, just out of interest?
0: What, that, did I get more matches? Unfortunately yeah. not. So I
1: think it, <laughs> I think the problem might be down to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Katie, what does good look like at Kama Brahma
2: when it comes to these campaigns? Well, I think that's, so to go back actually to what Joe was saying, I think it just brings up really interesting questions around measurement mm. more generally as well. And we're... It's been a huge struggle, I think. Influence marketing is relatively new in the the big scheme of things, but also from a PR point of view, it's always been a challenge to justify ROI and to make sure that the the metrics add up when you're up against huge... Uh, kind of media numbers and and that kind of thing. So I think it's it's a big challenge. But I we are trying a lot more to look at I guess the, the softer metrics of mm-hmm. influence marketing too. So not just impressions or click throughs and and likes and shares and th- and that kind of thing, but also is the content what we wanted, does it fit with the campaign does it work for the brand you know, is, is the influencer really on point with what we wanted to be doing, are they creating stuff that is great for their channel so that there's a much more holistic look at how we're, we're measuring content because I, I don't think, and you guys may disagree but I don't think just because 900,000 people have watched a video it necessarily means that it's done what you wanted it to do no, and absolutely. so I think there's a much bigger spread of, of measurement we need to be looking at
1: So sort of moving beyond these vanity metrics if you like Um, Just just out of interest, how do you sort of tie a campaign back to ROIs? Is that quite tricky?
2: It is really tricky. Um, And we're getting a lot more stringent across the board, I think, around objectives and KPIs at the beginning and Mm -hmm. making sure that you're measuring the right things at the end because no one wants to be in a situation where you do an amazing campaign and you can't actually prove it Mm -hmm. or justify it. But I think engagement rates from a social perspective, are still really important. um, And it shows that people actually do care about the content or in some way want to react and respond to it. So we will often still use that to calculate ROI. But I think, to be honest, the conversation will be going on forever. I don't think it's ever a hard and fast answer at the moment.
1: Sure. Joe, how do the Romans measure success on influencer campaigns?
3: So you've you've got your your, your classic metrics around engagement and and views and and likes which yeah all all really good right but we've all judged awards and we've all seen like a million like billion numbers at the end of an award and they kind of all merge into one big thing and no one really gets a huge takeout but I do think that increasingly with influencer campaigns you can tie it far harder into actual results certainly uh, Instagram's uh, swipe up uh, the ability to have trackable links in campaigns. So the, the podcast we did with with Freya, uh, with Maya Jammer, was, was very much d- uh, tied into delivering actual commercial results as well as brand fame. And I think what we look to do is not, very rarely just do pure play social campaigns. I think what we're looking to do, being a PR agency at, at our heart, is how do we get uh, social content into traditional media as well. And that allows you to to apply all the traditional PR metrics to the campaign
1: as well as all the great potential um, of social media too. Okay. Josh, when you're doing campaigns, what are some of the challenges or hurdles that you face from some clients that that you think might get in the way of it being effective?
0: Um, I think it's hard still because it's so new for a lot of especially more traditional brands and um, big companies to trust us mm. and go, okay, you sort of know what you're doing, create this. I think they sometimes would see us purely for the numbers that we have behind us and go, this is what I want from you and I want it to reach that audience. But our audience are real people. You know, <laughs> They're not just numbers and they interact with us and, and watch our stuff, hopefully because they enjoy what we do. Um so if I go and make something completely different with a brand to just suit what they want, it's, A, not going to perform very well, and, B, it's probably not even going to benefit that brand because my audience will be able to see that this isn't really what Josh wants to be doing. It's not his normal type of thing. It's clearly just a, a sellout. So mm. I think it's important to meet in the middle. Obviously, you know, they can't just be like, here you go, Josh has some budget, go crazy, but um, I think... Communication is always the best. Getting on a call or having a meeting, I feel like always helps sort of help flesh things out. Whereas if if you're dealing over emails and back and forth, it sometimes gets it just a bit lost. Um, and yeah, I mean that's it. It I will say it's getting better as we go forward. More brands are coming on board with the fact that
1: we do sometimes know what we're talking mm. about. So that creative license element is quite important. Well, what about in terms of the the length or nature of your relationships with brands? Do you find that it's quite short-term project-based or do you have longer-term relationships with some brands? And, and what works better?
0: It really varies. Some brands I've worked with once um, and never heard from again whether that be because they didn't like the campaign or purely just because they never had a need to work with me again. And, and on the other hand, I've also worked With some brands uh, several times, I think, I I, I don't know, I wish I knew the answer to be honest (laughs) with you. Why? I I prefer having longer term relationships with brands because you can then create content that uh, is more sort of natural to what you normally do because Mm -hmm. you're not just making one random piece of content with a brand, you can do it over a long period of time. and. I feel like I can also then invest far more in my videos if I have a commitment from a brand for a certain amount of projects they want to do throughout a year. I can then set aside a certain amount of budget to spend on videos because I think that's also a really cool thing is when you're given budget to create... a Video. I think you should be spending some of that budget on the video to make it better than what you could normally
1: make. Katie, short-termism a problem, do you think, in the industry?
2: No, I don't think so. I think there are some campaigns and some products that it works really well for, actually. And I, I think it will continue to, to be a way of working. But I think ev- as, as everyone's getting used to this now and everyone's learning about it and more conversations like this are happening, I think... Agencies and and brands are looking at more um, interesting ways, I suppose, of doing influencer campaigns. And ideally, you would have a mix of everything. You would have longer-term ambassador-type programs going for brands where it's relevant, where you can get some longer-term advocacy and people can really buy into it and be doing a really good kind of always-on job for your brand that means something a bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I, I still do believe there are the right campaigns and the right products for for short, sharp bursts. As well, just like there are in, in advertising and in PR and okay. In social.
1: Okay, let's touch a little bit on the ethics of influencer marketing. Um, earlier in the discussion, we cited some examples where influencers were promoting products to young audiences, things like coffee that that's um, you know, promoting as healthy and slimming and even some of the new um, heated tobacco products that are being put into market. Where do you sort of see that ethical responsibility of an influencer, and, and how, or well, the, the types of things they should be promoting to their audiences? How do you approach that, Josh?
0: It's so interesting, isn't it? Because it certainly is a responsibility that we need to address more, and I'm happy that conversation starting to happen more in the world. But what annoys me is that the biggest outlets of advertising in the world don't take on that responsibility yet. I mean if there's that gambling adverts on television mm-hmm. quite regularly alcohol adverts on television right. i mean you only have you, you're watching football and the sort of sidelines are covered with adverts for beer and and gambling so i think that is a major problem i mean those are not the kind of you know safest things to be advertising but mm. That doesn't mean that we don't have to take some responsibility as well. I think you have to be conscious of the age of your audience. And we're lucky enough to have that information courtesy of, of these sort of big tech companies that give you the information of how old your audience is. think you need to be honest with them when you're advertising. Um, and just manage it quite carefully and think about the intentions of, of what you're doing and how it might affect the people watching.
1: What, what do you advise clients, Joe, when, you, when clients that may seem somewhat contentious or, or they might reach audiences that aren't quite suitable for, for what they're promoting? mean, you know, I, I don't really have any contentious
3: clients, so this isn't necessarily an issue that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. My personal opinion mm-hmm. is that if the product is legal, then I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with uh, influencers or us PRing it. But I think when it comes down to products like tobacco or alcohol or gambling, then certainly there's a place in the agency where somebody could put their hand up and say, you know what, Joe, I don't feel comfortable about working on this. And Mm. chances are, I will have already screened that that particular new biz approach out for it not being right for us as a business. And I think the same approach applies exactly uh, for influencers. Like, if you don't feel that that product fits with your personal ethics, or is going to not resonate with your audience, then yeah, don't do it. But I think um, it isn't for us as agency or brand or influencer to to, to say what is wholesale wrong for an entire industry. Because mm-hmm. I think there certainly are influencers who do promote gambling or alcohol and do so in a in a fun and enjoyable way that is right for their audience.
1: Okay, Katie at Kamarama, are there any sort of boundaries in terms of uh, clients that you will work with or won't?
2: Yeah, we're in the same situation. Really, don't have any contentious clients, or and fortunately, actually, in my whole career, I've never had to have that kind of ethical conversation mm. with myself. And I think, but I do think it it is that I think it's just having an open conversation. And I think this is where having Conversations with with influencers, creators, agents, in the same way that you would, yeah, with with teammates and whatever about briefs and about what you're asking them to to promote is just is the right way to go about it. And I guess the kind of one of the underlying themes of of this whole conversation is around transparency and honesty and being upfront and making sure you're sharing the right information. And as long as we're we're doing that with everyone, I think then it's good to have the conversation, let people make a, a decision based on their own. Yeah, their personal choices, I suppose.
1: Another area um, that is currently being looked at by authorities is transparency around influencer marketing. Um, The Advertising Standards Authority and the Competition and Markets Authority are sort of cracking down on influencer posts that don't have adequate labelling. Josh, can you just provide us a bit of context in terms of this whole transparency issue? When did it start becoming a problem? When did the authorities start picking it up? Um. I was luckily quite educated on
0: it when I sort of started working in influencer marketing. So I've always disclosed uh, whenever I'm advertising, but I know certainly towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, it's become a very big thing, Mm. which I think is important. It needs to be transparent when you're advertising, but I'll go back to what I said earlier and that this needs to not happen across the board. I don't know why it's only the influencer marketing industry that's getting focused with this I watched a movie last night where every car I saw was a Chevrolet car. And if I wasn't in media, I probably wouldn't think about the fact that that was an advert. I would just subliminally see Chevrolet cars throughout that movie. And
1: So you're saying product placement in movies also needs to be looked at in terms of transparency.
0: 100%. If they're If not free, those cars. I mean, those cars are there for a reason. They are That is an advert. Mm. So I don't understand why the biggest players in the game aren't getting hit with the same responsibility, which I do think is really important. And I implore all influencers to, to be transparent with their advertising. But I just wish the same responsibility would be laid upon the people in this world who do the most advertising.
1: Yeah. Do you get kind of frustrated, though, that you see some quite well-known influencers who aren't transparent? Uh, do you I, feel like it sort of tarnishes the whole industry with a few bad actors?
0: I haven't seen too many examples to be honest of of influencers not being entirely transparent. It doesn't frustrate me too much. I just it's not right <laughs> so <laughs> i I try to keep my do it for my from my own sort of sanity i I do it and I think it's important to do but I haven't seen too many examples mm. of it personally i and, don't and know I imagine have any on. that you can think of
1: i imagine that your audiences must also respect the fact that you're being transparent
0: i hope so yeah and it um it does also make it uh, it lays more on the fact that you have to work harder when you are creating an advert. you can't just throw something in there it it, i think the audience expect it to be a good piece of content or at least something worth their while if you are getting
1: paid for it which i think is fair Katie, what, what are your views on transparency in influencer marketing?
2: I, d- I definitely do think there's a big onus on agencies to make sure we're doing the education process there definitely for mm-hmm. clients and for people we're working with to influencers and and just making sure that you know people are aware. It's a very straightforward thing to do. I don't think it's a, a massively complicated process or I don't think it... Well, certainly from, from numbers I've, I've seen in various bits um, online and, and from... What people have said to me, I don't think it makes a huge difference if there's hashtag ad on the end of a post in terms of how people are consuming that content and you know backlash or whatever to that content. So I just think it is on us definitely to make sure we're being really clear with people. They need to be including these disclaimers and making it really obvious. And I don't think any influencers are unhappy to do that either. Mm. So I just think it's a it's an education pro- process really.
1: Do you think what the authorities are currently doing? Their focus. Do you think that's sufficient in in terms of policing it?
2: Yeah it seems quite um, intense to me, <laughs> <laughs> actually at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of due diligence going on on with it, and, and, and rightly so, from an, yeah, from an industry-wide point of view, I think it's important to have that transparency, definitely. And I think yeah, again, I don't see huge amounts of people not doing it, to mm. be honest, so um, I'm not aware of it being an enormous problem. And certainly not on any campaigns that I've worked on. Have I ever had anyone suggest they don't do it or, or, or push back on, on having to do it? So I think it's as much as being done as can be at the moment within that influencer space. Uh, so I think I think it is just an education process.
1: Joe, do you think um, as influencer marketing becomes fully transparent, do you think it runs the risk of then coming across as just advertising and over time people will just get used to it and sort of treat it like advertising? good question.
3: Um, I guess it kind of is advertising to an extent, but with an added layer of authenticity because you trust the person that is talking to you. So in many ways, it is vastly more effective than advertising. Do I think people are going to tune out because of that? I think if you like watching somebody um, and they have put time and care and effort into the creative that they've developed for that particular campaign or product,
1: then you're going to enjoy watching it. So I don't think you're going to tune out from it at all. Okay. Final question on influencers before we move on. What's the one thing that you would each like to see to help sort of improve the influencer marketing space? I'll start with you, Katie.
2: I would definitely like to see a lot more uh, longer term, more integrated campaigns, I think. Um, and. Brands and agencies being more more creative, I guess, in how they can incorporate uh, influencers. I'm really conscious of using the word influencer now. I've said it a thousand times, but incorporating these guys into campaigns and into content in a much more immersive way and how that can be used in other channels then as well beyond their own channels to, to create larger scale, scale campaigns because I think it's something that people have dabbled in but isn't really happening enough yet.
0: Yeah, I I completely just agree and add on to that, it's, it would be cool to see more bigger advertising campaigns run with influencers and working with them to create something bigger than what that YouTuber or creator would normally be able to do. Um, and I think it will happen. It just
1: obviously takes uh, takes a little bit of time. Okay, fantastic. Joe, what's your one thing you would like to see in the influencer marketing space?
3: I, I, I guess it's um, f- from agencies, less of a cookie cutter approach, less of a shit we've got, Ten grand left at the uh, at the end of a budget. Let's chuck it to some people, and mm-hmm. um, perhaps baking in how the role of influencers far further upstream in the creative process. Whether that is directly con- collaborating with influencers as an agency, so that we cre- co-create a product, or whether it's looking outside of what is perhaps seen as traditional influencers, if that, if that's such a thing. So looking outside of just YouTubers and Instagrammers and perhaps thinking that there's a million people out there with a level of influence uh, and how to tap into those individuals to create something that
1: is perhaps slightly less homogenous and more unique. Okay. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank my guests, Katie, Joe and Josh. And I'd like to thank our excellent production partners, Marketeers, and for all of you out there listening to our first ever episode of The PR Show. I'm Arvin Hickman. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening
3: to the PR Show Podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review.
1: This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years.